0: Scripture reading this morning is Colossians 3, verses 12 to 17, which can be found on page 958 of your Pew Bible. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and, if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in the one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of the Lord.
1: Would you pray with me as we begin in God's word this morning? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As uh, pastors, we spend a fair amount of time in hospital rooms Uh, As you might imagine, when I go to the hospital, I always try and dress up a little bit, no t-shirts or sneakers. Um, I will often bring a small communion set that is loaded with a little matzo bread and some grape juice. Uh, Not always, but but often I will do that. But one thing I always do is I always have my Bible app loaded into my phone in case there's no reception in the hospital uh, so that I have resource for that. Sometimes it doesn't matter what I'm wearing or what I brought with me because the patient is sleeping or out for testing. I would say that's maybe a third of the time. The I, I only serve communion about maybe half the time that I bring it uh, based on the state of the patient, what they're asking for, and sort of the situation of the room. But I always, always use my Bible. I visited you, some, some of you in hospital rooms and I always use my Bible at some point, in my prayers or in reading over people. If the patient is awake and lucid, I will ask them if I can read a passage for them and if they if they have a request. They will occasionally request something from the Gospels, but I would say 80% of the time, guess where they request something from? The Psalms. Yeah, the Psalms. Um, when they do not have a request or if they're sleeping, I will almost always choose a psalm to read over them. Now, why is that? Why is, why is it that we choose the Psalms so much in a setting like that? We've been studying the Psalms for an entire summer here. We finished last week going through 150 Psalms, reading together and, and preaching through them. It's this popular, most loved book of the Bible. And this Sunday, I want to ask the question, why, as we sort of finish up this series on Psalms in the next two weeks, why? Why so popular? Why is that the go-to book of the Bible? So to do so, to to ask that question, we're actually going to take a look at how the Psalms have been used throughout history as a helpful piece of instruction, because the way that those patients feel, maybe you've been there uh, in their hospital rooms, the way that they feel about the Psalms echo the feelings of faithful people throughout the history of the church and God's people who have been blessed by the Psalms in a unique way. So just a little bit of, of, of history, and then we'll then we'll bring it all together. The Psalms have been used in corporate worship and and in individual prayer uh, and devotion since the very first days of their composition. So throughout the Old Testament from about 1000 BC to the time of, uh, that's the time of King David, from that point on, the Psalms were an integral part of temple worship for sure, synagogue worship as well, a little later on, and personal devotion. Those men and women of that time who were seeking to follow God, they, they heard the Psalms chanted on the Sabbath. Every Sabbath they would hear the Psalms chanted and, and prayed, and, and they were encouraged to pray the Psalms through their work days. The Psalter um, shaped their spirituality. It formed their identity as people who were marked by blessing from God, but also an eager anticipation for a Messiah who was going to come and make things right. But the Psalms were not simply read, they were sung as well, but they, more than that, they they penetrated the minds and the imaginations of the people of God as only the Psalms and and things that are sung seem to do. Uh, The best way to put it is that the people of God, from the very moment the Psalms were written, they were saturated with the Psalms. Saturated with the Psalms. They were part of everyday life. Um, These people would have known the psalms almost by heart or by heart. Uh, For example, Jonah, when he's in the belly of that large fish, in chapter 2, we get poetry. He sings a psalm to God in his moment of distress. And what is it? It's a patchwork of the psalms that we know from the book of Psalms. These songs and prayers were embedded deeply in God's people, embedded so deeply that even in moments of distress, that's what came forward. So it's no wonder that by the time we get to the New Testament era, the Psalms are quoted more than any other Old Testament book. In 260 New Testament chapters, the Psalms are quoted over 400 times. And just as the Psalms saturated the the Hebrew people of the Old Testament, so too Jesus, who was a good Jew, right, was saturated in the Psalms as well. He quotes the Psalms frequently much more than any other book of the Old Testament in his ministry. In just his last week, just to illustrate, Jesus is greeted with Psalm 118 as he enters triumphantly into Jerusalem. He sings the great Hallel Psalm at the Passover meal, which Simon is going to preach on and talk about next week as we come to the communion table. He ponders, Jesus ponders Psalm 75 when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He quotes Psalm 22 when he's on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then, with his dying breath, the Gospels record that he quotes Psalm 31. It is finished. Psalm 31. So in his darkest hours, Jesus was sustained and strengthened by the Psalms. Why? Because he knew those Psalms, front and back. He lived them. He knew that they were full of allusions to his life and his death and his resurrection and his glory to come. So too with the disciples, by the way. After Jesus ascended into heaven... Uh, when that day of Pentecost came and the Spirit came and flooded into that early church, Peter stands up to preach his first sermon. And where? What are his primary texts for this sermon? Want to take a guess? It's the Psalms. It's Psalm eighteen or Psalm sixteen and Psalm one ten. Those are his primary texts to talk about Jesus, the life of Jesus. And after Peter's sermon, it says that almost 3,000 people came to, to know Jesus and were added to the church that day. And in the very next verse, we read this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayers. Actually, a better translation is they devoted themselves to the prayers. What prayers are we talking about here? I believe, sincerely, that we're talking about the Psalms. That was the corporate prayer that they were that they were enacting. This was God's prayer uh, prayer book for the church from the very beginning. And we see that as the church expands, the use of the psalms continue from our text today, which was read for us in Colossians. Let the words of the Lord Jesus Christ dwell in you richly, teach and admonish one another, and with gratitude in your hearts sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Here we get a view into the worship practices of the earliest churches. So when our early Christian forebears gathered to worship in each other's homes, maybe under the cover of darkness, depending on where they were, the Psalms were their worship book. The Psalms were their worship book. These Christ followers, what were they doing? They were saturating themselves in the Psalms. But now, interestingly, it's with the lens of Jesus Christ at the center of those psalms. There are ancient accounts that that speak of the early church clinging to the psalms and, and rejecting any sort of poetry or wisdom literature that's outside of those psalms because they were so nervous about heretical Gnostic teachings coming into the church, so they were like, if we just stick to the psalms, we should be good, right? The psalms were at the very center of the earliest church gatherings. And this continues throughout church history as well in the 6th century uh, when benedict formed his numerous monasteries he directed that all of the psalms be sung and read and prayed at least once a week get your mind around that for a moment took us a whole summer right and 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 it was i was already behind in my reading after 8 weeks okay and i'm in charge you right like of the sermon series and i was behind in my reading all of the psalms all 150 of them need to be sung and read and prayed at least once a week Throughout medieval times, the the Psalms continued to be the most familiar part of the Bible for most Christians. In fact, the Psalms were the only part of the Bible that most lay Christians were likely to own. So basically, if, if you weren't a pastor, the Psalms were the only scripture that you might have had any sort of access to. And the Psalms are key in the Protestant Reformation as well, of the 16th century. Martin Luther directed that, quote, "...the whole Psalter, psalm by psalm, should remain in use." And John Calvin demanded that the metrical psalms be the main form of song in worshiping congregations. What do we learn from this history, even up to today? Well, we learn that the church has always embraced the psalms in a unique way. Every Jewish and Christian leader of every age has valued them, has lifted them up, and has saturated themselves in the psalms. And here's the thing, we simply do not do this with other books in the Bible, as valuable as they might be. I've never had a patient say, would you read a proverb for me? And the proverbs are important, but that's never happened to me. The Psalms are unique, and they've been unique for for, for, for millennia. It's clear to me, and, and this is really the main point here, is that All of church history that has gone before us, including the early church and the apostles and Jesus himself and the faithful people of God who who preceded him, they didn't merely choose the Psalms as a worship book because it was effective or nice. They accepted the Psalms as God's gift to them. God's most expressive, instructive, and usable literature in his word for humanity. Now, we're going to continue to saturate ourselves in the psalms in this church. That's something that we're going to continue to do long after this sermon series concludes. The question I have for you this morning is a pretty simple one. Will you continue to saturate yourself in the psalms in your own personal life, in your own personal devotions? If you want to follow the 3,000-year lineage of, of God's people, you need to saturate yourself in the psalms. We're going to do our part as the church, but you need to do your part in your own life. So let me give you three reasons why I think that you should saturate yourself in the Psalms, and I'm indebted to Tim Keller's work on the Psalms for these three points. First, when we're saturated in the Psalms, the Psalms work as both information and ventilation. Let me explain. Uh Martin Luther, I alluded to this last week, Martin Luther called the Psalms a mini-Bible. The Psalms are a mini-Bible, meaning that it gives an overview of the story of God from creation, uh, the law of Moses through the kings and the prophets, to the exiles. They point to Jesus as the Messiah, and then ultimately they point to the glorious fullness of the kingdom that is still to come. It's a mini-Bible. It's a Bible in miniature form. Not only this, but the Psalms hit on almost every important doctrine of theology that we talk about. The existence of God, uh, creation care, human nature, sin, revelation, how God reveals himself, even how we come to believe at all. So to read the Psalms is to get a ton of information on the Bible as a whole, the the whole of God's story, and, and to delve into some significant theology as well. So if you want to learn more in a, in a kind of a, a power-packed way, if you want to go deeper in God's word and God's story in a really significant way, the Psalms are going to bless you in that effort. So information. But beyond information, the Psalms are also ventilation. One of the church fathers, Athanasius, once wrote, Whatever your particular need or trouble, from the Psalms you can select a form of words to fit it so that you will learn the way to remedy your ill. Let me read it again. Whatever your particular need or trouble, from the Psalms, you can select a form of words to fit it, so that you can learn the way to remedy your ill. In other words, there's very little that you could deal with in your life that the Psalms do not give voice to. They anticipate whatever you have going on spiritually, socially, emotionally, they speak to the human realities while, while offering wisdom and teaching us how to talk to God about it and, and, and how to get the help that we need from God. So it's not just information that the Psalms offer. They certainly offer that. But as Timothy Keller puts it, they are a medicine chest for the heart and the best possible guide for practical living. In saying this, uh, Keller is, is indicating a medicine chest. In saying this, he's, he's indicating that the Psalms are something that are to be used regularly for healthy living. Used regularly for healthy living. Let me illustrate this. Um, in, in my teenage years, we lived across the street from a, a very nice Indian family. Um, I would walk by their house on the way back from the school bus, and I would often smell curry uh, coming from their house. Now, I love the smell of curry, but it was amazing how strong the smell of curry was coming from that house. And I would often think to myself, like, if if it smells this strong, like. Outside of the house, I wonder what it smells like inside the house. I mean, do your eyes just water with, this, with these spices in their house? Well, eventually we were invited over to their house for a, a beautiful meal, delicious meal. And I was amazed that I wasn't overwhelmed by the smell of spices in that house at all. Why? Because they had good ventilation, right? That's why you're smelling it outside and not inside. I want to contrast this to my days in seminary. There was a notorious apartment uh, on campus at North Park, that um, people would only last in for like two weeks, and then they would have to move out of because there was uh, an, another person that lived in the hall that would that would cook constantly uh, in their apartment. Now I will eat almost anything, by the way. I, I love I love food. Whatever home cooked meal that is, I want nothing to do with whatever that smell is. It was just a really pungent smell, um, and it perpetually made the this seminary apartment, which was next door to it, smell like cabbaged and I think pickling agents and maybe some mystery kind of meat. Now, why is that? They didn't have any ventilation, right? No ventilation. We can be fully absorbed in our emotions. We can be overwhelmed with information. We can be weighed down by just the difficulties of life. And what I think is that the Psalms in the midst of that are like somebody turning on a fan or somebody cracking open a window. How wonderful was it this morning? I, I came in early, I cracked all the windows, I, I kicked that door open. It felt so fresh and wonderful in here. It was like a relief, right? The Psalms give us somewhere to go. They give ventilation to the realities of our life. They give us space to go and do. Um, it, it, the Psalms are information, but they're also ventilation. They are expressly written to be prayed and recited and sung, to be done, not merely read to be ventilated in the whole of our lives and in the lives of people around us. So if you commit to the Psalms in your own devotional life, you're going to find that it's going to push you to new attitudes and commitments and promises or even new emotions. For example, when we read Psalm 139 and it says, Search me, O Lord. Test me to see if there is any offensive way in me. We can read that for information and context, and there's something to be gleaned from that. But when we pray that prayer, when we really pray that prayer, we're actually inviting God in to test our motives, and we place ourselves in the middle of of God's story for his people, and it changes the way that we live. If we will read and pray and sing the Psalms in our own lives, we will deepen our commitment to God. We'll learn to depend on him more. We'll share our hearts with him more regularly and we'll confess and receive forgiveness more often. We will gain wisdom to live more and more. Information and ventilation. Okay, second reason you should saturate yourself in the Psalms is that the Psalms will help you truly see God. The Psalms will help you truly see God. There's no more faithful, expansive, overwhelming description of the character of God than what we find on the whole in the Psalms. So if we saturate ourselves in the Psalms, we will see God as he truly is, not as we would hope that he would be. I don't know about you, but if it's up to me, if I'm not really vigilant in my own sort of prayer life and devotional life, I will pray to God, to to some sort of God who says the things that I would like for him to say. Do you have that problem? Am I the only one? I think this is because I only comprehend just the small sliver of God and, and that's all that my brain can handle. But if I'm saturated in these Psalms, God blows my conceptions of who he is out of the water. Because here's the reality. God reveals himself uniquely in the Psalms and we find a God that is bigger And more holy and more tender and more caring and more fearsome and more demanding and more gracious than we could possibly imagine. If you really want to know God, you can't start in a better place than reading and praying and singing the Psalms. And the third reason I want to invite you to saturate yourself in the Psalms is that ultimately the Psalms lead us to Jesus. The Psalms lead us to Jesus. If the Psalms are the Bible in miniature form, as Martin Luther said, then Jesus is at the heart of the Psalms because Jesus is the fulcrum point of God's story. The Psalms truly belong to Jesus. They are songs of his. They point to him at every turn. And if we, if we saturate ourselves in them, as the church has done for millennia, we will encounter Jesus profoundly. But not only this, When we read and pray and sing the Psalms, we are walking in the footsteps of Jesus himself. Because the Psalms were Jesus' songbook. It is very safe to assume that Jesus knew the the Psalms by heart. That when we read in the Gospel so often that Jesus went off to a quiet place to pray, I think he was singing and praying the Psalms. It's very safe to assume that. So when we make the Psalms part of our daily devotions, we are eating the same spiritual food that Jesus himself ate while he walked here on earth. Don't you want to follow in Jesus' footsteps that closely in that sort of way? Because I know that I do. The Psalms help us to follow Jesus more closely because he used them for both information and ventilation. And they are indeed songs about him. So it's a a fairly simple application for all of us this morning. Use the psalms. Put them to use. Saturate yourself in the psalms. We're going to do it here at church. We're going to continue to do so. You should do it on your own as well. The psalms are one of God's greatest, most enduring gifts to the people of God. So read them. Sing them. Pray them. And I hope And pray that someday, when I'm in the hospital, perhaps near the end of my life even, and someone comes to visit me, and they ask if if there's a scripture that I would like to be read, that I'll be able to request a psalm that I have saturated in for my whole life. Maybe it's Psalm 8. Maybe it's Psalm 90. Maybe it's Psalm 24 or Psalm 138. And then when it's read over me, I'll weep because of the information and the ventilation and because God is in it and because Jesus is in it and because I've lived my whole life with it. And if I'm asleep, I hope and pray that whoever comes and visits me reads a psalm over me, a psalm of their choosing that they're saturated in. And I hope and pray the same for each and every one of you as well. Let's pray. Lord, would you teach us to live with the Psalms? Would you teach us to to live with these modes of worship that the church and your faithful people have lived with and saturated themselves in? Might we do the same? So that no matter what life brings, we might be so saturated that our, our own hearts would cry Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That our hearts would cry, How long, O Lord? That our hearts might cry, The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. That our hearts might cry, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. That our hearts would cry, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. that our hearts might cry, Lord, from the depths of my heart, I cry out to you. Would you teach us to be so absorbed with these living words that they lead us into further worship of you with our very lives, we pray in your name. Amen.